Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And our special guest today is Thane Balamo. And what I what we want to talk about today is an article that Thane wrote uh, called We Killed God, Family, and Community, and Now It Is Killing Us. But before we get into that, Thane, can you talk a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm an organizational development consultant, um, author, speaker. I've been working with Fortune 500 companies for... I don't know, about 25 years now, uh, helping them uh, understand how leaders, teams, and organizations most effectively form and function. Um, so, you know, my work in organizations, um, in, in helping them with that, has really led me uh, to have an intense interest in the larger organization that we all live in, which is the United States, um, and how it most effectively form and forms and functions. And the rules that apply organizationally, um, also apply more broadly. So that kind of uh, is where my uh, interest has lain in, in sort of understanding that. Well, and so we'll get into the rules, but basically what you're saying is rules are pretty much universal, if you, especially when you put God first in, uh, in the equation. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, human beings have, um, you know, evolved over millennia to live um, in a certain way. And as um, we advance as a, a civilization, um, through technology, the um, circumstances within which we live are radically changing, and that is essentially allowing us to discard many of the foundational social structures that have allowed humans to uh, flourish over millennia. And so we're at an inflection point right now. Um, You know, how we form and function, how we live together, how we work together, is not as defined as it once was by our environment. And uh, the, the rules, again, that have sort of evolved over many thousands of years um, are becoming less, I don't want to say less relevant, because they're extremely relevant. Yeah, they never lose their relevance. Relevant yeah. the relevance. Of... Right, right. But they're becoming less relevant to the, to the way in which many people live. And, and it's becoming, um, you know, problematic. Uh, those social structures that humans have created um, were incredibly important in helping us understand what's right, what's wrong, how do we treat one another, how do we interact together, what values do we have, what norms and traditions do we have. Um, Those developed, um, I heard a saying once that said, um, traditions are solutions to problems that we forgot existed. And when I like you get that. Rid of yeah. your traditions, the problems, yeah, reappear. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of this right now. We're at this inflection point, and we have to figure out how we are going to, you know, proceed um, in a way that is most beneficial for, for human flourishing. And so really the genesis of this conversation is kind of in light of the recent shootings in California and Texas and Ohio— uh, but, you know, we here in uh, Colorado, you know, Columbine was 20 years ago. So we continue to see these yeah. acts of violence. And, you know, the politicians, a lot of the talking heads all want to jump immediately to, hey, we need to get rid of guns. But what you're saying is, look, when you get rid of God, family and community, you know, that's where the problem is, right? That's the root of the issue, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look. Sort of just historically in our country. I mean, we've always been 
you know, there's been guns. <laughs> We've always had many guns, right? We, right. And, and we didn't have these, uh, these things happening. So the question for me, you know, I like to look at, in my work, I look at root causes. You know, too often we um, are addressing symptoms and not root causes. And, of course, if you're not addressing the root cause, you're not going to solve the problem. And, you know, given the fact that, for example, we've always had, you know, many, many guns in this country and we didn't have those kind of things happening, the, the most sensible question is, you know, okay, so what changed? And, you know, lots of things have changed. Let's be clear about that. But one of the primary things that has changed is the, the regulating influences that we have traditionally had to help people, again, uh, regulate their behavior, understand their place and value in the world are as they deteriorate, you know, the chances that people will um, act out in ways that are, um, well, horrific, are, uh, increase. Well, so, that's what we continue to see. Right, exactly. And let's be clear, too. I think that I think we lose sight of the fact that when we look at the symptoms of I call them symptoms of despair in the country, you know, opioid addiction, suicide, uh, mass killings, these um, especially opioid addiction and suicide are, are increasing. Uh, suicide, you know, put in air quotes, regular suicide. Well, we know what that is. Mass killings are another form of suicide. These people have no interest in living past their horrific act. It is a, you know, a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It is, a, it is the most extreme expression of suicide. Yeah. Um, Right. You know, so they're all suicide. They're all um, symptoms of people who are uh, who who feel they have no meaning, no purpose, no value. Well, you even mentioned in your article, you say, you know, that when people uh, become despondent like that, they really think that, you know, when they go, nobody's going to care. Right. I mean, in the end. They're, they're almost like a cog in the machine, and they don't view themselves with the, the dignity of the human person that they are. And so it's almost like the people are a blip on the radar. Well, uh, that, that's true. I mean, in the article I say, you know, many people can count on one hand the number of people whose life would truly be altered by their passing. And that's, that's very sad. You know, I mean... Um, and I, and I know, you know, the criticism I've gotten for the article is really sort of this once upon a time frame that I kind of put on it, like, you know, as if the past was so great and we're living in such terrible times. And, um, you know, I'm not suggesting in any way that the past was perfect and that, you know, um, everything was uh, 100% wonderful in the past and now everything's 100% bad. That obviously is not true. But I think it is um, certainly evident that when you look across um, our sort of evolution and how people live their lives. They live in, we are naturally disposed and, and wired to live in community and in, in connection with other people. And technology now allows us to isolate ourselves. Um, you can literally sit in your house. Uh, if you have a job where you can like telecommute and work from home, you literally never have to leave your house. Never happened before. Yeah, I mean, people even deliver your groceries, right? I mean, you everything comes to you. Right. Right, right. And so, you know, we have the ability to do that now. And people, um, and, and, you know, the technology often um, encourages isolation. Um, and so, you know, 
people, we know that people, like we have right now an epidemic of loneliness. You can read a lot of articles right now out there about loneliness and um, that loneliness from a health perspective is as bad as smoking, apparently, in a number of uh, studies that I've read. And um, so this isolation is it's not how human beings are meant to, to live. That's not how we most effectively live. And uh, we have to figure out how are we going to um, live in a world of technology and encourage um, connection, encourage community? And once upon a time, that the main conduit of that, the main uh, you know way that happened was through the church. Right. The church that was, that was the community, right? You'd get together, right. you'd do stuff not only just on Sundays, but you'd have stuff going on during the week. And you know, to your point, you know, in your article, you mentioned you know isolation is the first, but then depression, anxiety, despondency, drug abuse, and death. And I read an article that you know twenty two percent of millennials say they have no friends. That that's right. That's right. Twenty five percent of people who live in urban areas don't even know their neighbors. So, you know, and it's funny, uh, there's been some, you know, I've gotten some criticism, some controversy for the article. And I think that if you read the article, the fact that there is controversy around it almost validates the point. Yeah, I mean, it's almost hard. I mean, I've read the article, and if I haven't mentioned it before, it is in The Federalist. So I encourage everyone to uh, look that up and read the article. Um, But, I mean, you read this article and you're like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And then you throw stats in there regarding drug abuse and you talk about suicide and, you know, single parent families and, you know, all those things in and of themselves, it almost makes like the perfect cocktail to, to be where we are today. Well, that, that, that's right. And, you know, societies, organizations, you know, my, my frame around this is through my work with organizations. And, you know, one of the primary things that, um, you know, I look for in an organization is do you have a, a vision? Do you have a common set of values? Do you have a way in which people understand, you know, what is the correct way to work in this organization? What's the incorrect way? How do we, um, do we have a common vocabulary around that? And um, the successful organizations do, right? And that's pretty intuitive. We all kind of understand that if people are operating from a different playbook, a different set of music, then things aren't going to work so well. Um, more and more, we are not operating from a common playbook. Um, traditionally, we, we always have. And, you know, the, to the extent that the church is um, sort of a primary feature of that is that it has traditionally been the playbook, essentially. It was the vision, the values, the primary conduit of norms and, and, and how we behave and how we treat one another. Um, we haven't replaced that. We haven't figured out, you know, how, what mechanism is going to replace that. And in the absence of that, um, things begin to disintegrate. And if you look at it from a, a secular view, and you, and you, you know, as I hesitate to say this, but if you just sort of say, okay, well, let's just sort of remove God from the equation, you know, the structure itself was, has been valuable. You know, I mean, obviously... Um, in the context of God in the equation, that that is the you know the sort of revelation of, of, of good and what is good and how you know how one comports oneself. Um, but even in the absence of 
even if you sort of try to take it, take God out of the equation in a, in a secular sense, the institution itself provided great value to the extent that it has been the conduit of, um, you know, what we perceive as right and wrong, how we behave, and probably more importantly, the fact that you as an individual um, are valuable. You're valuable in this world. Right, and so when you take God out of the equation, really you lose your meaning, and what happens is it creates a vacuum. And, you know, the devil works great when he can isolate us. I mean, we see that, right, in, in Africa when lions, go, they, they pick out the weak and they single it out and separate it from the herd. I mean, when we do that ourselves, we're doing all the devil's work, and he can manipulate our minds and make us think all kind of things, and it, and it leads to that despair that, that he so relishes in. Well, and, and, and we know, you know, we know intuitively that, um, you know, isolation and loneliness lead to despair, right? That, that, that's almost a, a given. Um, and, again, how, what mechanisms do we now have? Um, I believe that humanity's pretty much tried everything, you know. Multiple we've times. For, you know, we've evolved. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I was reading... Um, a, a, you know, a little bit of, if you've ever read uh, Plato's Republic, right? that was written 2,500 years ago. The Bible itself written, you know. A couple thousand years thousand ago, years. yeah. Exactly, right? And that, though, the, 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 the aggregation of those learnings didn't happen, you know, it wasn't like Plato got up one day and said, I'm going to write, I'm a, you know, he lives with a bunch of cavemen and he decided to write the Republic. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> right. They, they, they came from a tradition of many thousands of years before that, of humans living, trying this, trying that, you know, figuring out what's the best way um, to provide the circumstances for human flourishing. And so it's interesting to me that we are sort of the arrogance we have in that we believe that we can take these structures that have evolved over many thousands of years and um, get rid of them and create something new from whole cloth that we think will be better. Yeah, I always like to uh, laugh at myself. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, that's, that's the point. You know, it's unlikely that we will be able to accomplish that. Yeah, I, I always like to laugh because, you know, I used, to, I used to read the Old Testament and think, those Israelites, how stupid can they be? You know, they keep, you know, God keeps loving them, they keep screwing up, and it's over and over again. And then one day I actually had the realization, I'm thinking, hey, that's me. I'm, I'm reading about me in there, keep doing the same stupid stuff, yet society keeps doing it. You know, we see it with, you know, this new democratic socialism, right? Socialism is socialism, but we're going to put a new name on it, and we're smarter than everybody else. So where it's failed everywhere else, we're going to make it work, and it's the same kind of mindset. Well, uh, that, that's right, and and we have seen definitively um, the fruits of that. I mean, just look at the history of the 20th century. I mean, this sort of atheistic, um, socialist um, experiments, essentially, that have, you know, caused, um, I don't know, tens and tens of millions of people died. Oh, they say it's the bloodiest we, century kind of, of, of history, is. yeah. Right, right, and largely driven by that sort of ideology, this idea that we can create something new from whole cloth that, that is going to be better than what we know works. Um, and, you know, 
you can uh, Stalin, Mao, Cambodia. I mean, you, you know, the list is lengthy. Yeah, Hitler. You and, can go on and on and on. Uh, uh, right, right, and 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 the body count is in the you know tens and tens of millions of people. Um, so that's that's kind of scary. That kind of sort of in, what I would call generational arrogance, right? You know, we the our sort of dumb ancestors. You know, we're we're smarter than them, and we can figure out a better way. And again, I'm not advocating for um, I'm not a luddite or luddite, whatever. I, I'm not <laughs> someone that's saying we we cannot you know progress. Right. You know, humans are always moving forward, right? And I'm, I'm not you know saying that we should go back to like a, live in you know live in the agrarian past or something like that. We just have to figure out how do we integrate the um, you know the world that we've created right in a way that is most beneficial for um human flourishing now you know um let's see there's a book that just came out recently steven pinker enlightenment now i don't know if you've heard of that i haven't um well it's a book that outlines the progress that humanity has made over you know the centuries and you know our life expectancy is higher violence globally violence is declining globally poverty is declining um Humanity is, you know, flourishing in many ways. Um, you know, it, it, we have more abundance now than we ever had. And yet, in our country at least, we have a loneliness epidemic. So we have a, a sad and lonely population that lives a long time, has, uh, has whatever you want you can have, pretty much. And that, that's, a, that's incongruent, sort of. That, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, it's sort of like I can live in a man and have everything I want, and if I'm sad and lonely, well, that's that seems like it's beside the point, right? Right, and I think you know, to your to your point, right? God, family, and community should be the foundation. We can continue to flourish, right, and mm-hmm. be and you know, learn new things and create better ways of doing things. But when you lose your foundation and you try to do that, everything just kind of falls apart. It just that's that's the piece. We have no foundation when we give that up. So, yeah, I I agree. Right. We're not supposed to uh, regress. We can continue to progress, but we can't do it in a meaningful way, in a loving way, in in a society that everyone wants to live in. When you tell God, family and community, you're no longer wanted. Well, that's right, because we haven't figured out a better set of, of sort of social structures that uh, that provide the, the things that those three institutions traditionally have. Um, you know, and you can see, uh, you know, family, single-parent households. Um, you know, the outcomes for children living in single-parent households, by and large, right, generally yeah. speaking, mm-hmm. when you aggregate that over hundreds of millions of people, the outcomes are worse. You know, they're definitively worse. Yeah, whether yeah, it comes to jail, whether it comes to poverty, I mean, all those things. And there's plenty of stats. Anybody can look those up. Absolutely, right? Any Anybody can look those up. So we know, you know, what happens. And, you know, what organizations, when I look at organizations, choose to incentivize, what they reward and what they punish is very important. And we, in our society, you know, we incentivize behaviors that are detrimental to those institutions. So, for example, when you say, let's just look at divorce, right? Divorce is, you know, potentially a necessary thing sometimes, 
I mean, no one is going to argue that somebody should live in an abusive house. No, when there's safety of the person, absolutely. absolutely. Right. No one would argue that. But we have embraced a sort of worldview that says things like, um, you know, you got to chase your happiness. You be you. You know, if you're not happy, you need to go, you know, it is sort of happiness centered. Right. And so we incentivize people to say, you know what, if you're not happy, then, then, you know, you should leave. And we're going to create mechanisms that actually make that really pretty easy for you to do. Right. And, and yet, you know, we know the outcomes of that are not good. Um, so why do we incentivize that behavior? You know, why do we not, incent- instead of incentivizing a pursuit of happiness, right. why are we not incentivizing a pursuit of the fulfillment of your duty? The fulfillment of your responsibility to your loved ones. Right, and, and I think your to your point, right, I mean, uh, businesses have an obligation, right, to, to do stuff like that. It wasn't but a month or two ago that, you know, 180 CEOs signed this pledge to, you know, to promote abortion, right, <laughs> at the expense of family. Right. And, you know, back in 94, I, I remember uh, St. Mother Teresa now, uh, was with the Clintons, I think it was at a prayer breakfast, and said any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love one another, but to use violence to get what they want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. And now we have you know companies, Disney and different ones, taking sides on this like, hey, this is, this is good for, for business, when in reality, it's not. Yeah, and that is you know, obviously such a, you know, it's interesting, you know, sort of as you go through the history of, of, and I'm just, I'll limit it to like Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that the concept of abortion obviously has traditionally, you know, since we have been, since the, the foundational sort of value system that we operate in is the, you know, is a Judeo Christian value system, um, that it has always been in that, within that value system. Um, viewed as you know abhorrent, right? Right. Murder. Right. Right. <laughs> That's, and and that we have now sort of embraced um, that um, in many ways, celebrated. Let's be honest. You know, our our culture is sort of celebratory about about that. And what's interesting is that there, you know, if you think through the messaging it sends, right? The, the messaging that you know this life is not valuable. Well, right. if that's not valuable, then why am I valuable? Right. Um, and and furthermore, you know, I guess I'm concerned that there's no limiting principle around it. You know, once upon a time we we are what was it, safe, legal, and rare. And yeah, that was the that was the know, the Clinton motto, just to kind of get the the get the grease the skids. Well, exactly. But you can but you could you know, it was sort of purposely framed in that way to say, look, you know, maybe we as a society will accept the necessity of it, but we are going to hold on to the idea that it is not something good. And so it was sort of hedging your bets, you know? Right. Um, But there's no limiting principle to it, because now we've seen we've seen some states creating laws that are, um, you know, extending. Oh, we're into uh, infanticide. Right. We're, you know, we're edging up onto infanticide. And, and so there is no limiting principle. If you're going to go there, well, then why not a, uh, uh, someone suffering from dementia? Why not 
you know, I mean, you, well, and that's what we have, right? With youth, euthanasia, and we see that in other countries, and actually here now, right? There are states right. one by one, kind of picking it off. So we, we, you know, we we devalue human life in the beginning, in the end, something that we don't think is right, and then we're surprised when people go do mass shootings. It it it, it it's unbelievable that people just don't see how A leads to B. Right. And, and, and again, when I look at it through my organizational frame, right, organizations reward and punish. They, this is, you know, they, they um, articulate what is valuable in our organization and what is not valuable in the behaviors that are, you know, once you begin to corrode that, um, people begin to function in ways that are detrimental for the success of the organization. Um, so organizations are very careful about, or good organizations anyway, are very careful about what they reward, what they punish, what they allow, what they disallow. What we allow um, becomes our standard, right, in anything right. we do. Right. What we allow to happen becomes our standard. So, you know, so this, you know, these are questions that we don't have answers to in our society. We don't, not, no, I don't want to say answers. We don't have agreement. Right. We don't have broad agreement around these questions, and that, um, you know, doesn't lead to a situation where we are um, going to optimally function, right? I mean, you can't have, uh, you know, I play music, and in a band, you can't have everybody playing a different piece of music. Everybody has to play the same. Yeah, you wouldn't have too many listeners that way. No, no. So, um, so again, uh, you know, how... And I get people say, okay, say, okay, Thane, you know, you've written this thing. What do you, what do you think you sh- we should do about it? You know? Um, and I think, again, it gets back to what we, what we decide to reward and punish. What we decide is good and bad. And we need to um, incentivize that which um, is, quote-unquote, good, right, which causes good outcomes, right. which causes people to be, right, to have the best chance of, of flourishing. I don't say happiness because I don't think that is a – um, a useful goal. We're actually down to about the last 30 seconds or so. Uh, I can't believe it's gone this fast. How can people follow what you're doing, Thane? Uh, well, you can look me up on uh, Twitter at Thane Belomo. Um, and, uh, and I'm just going to keep you know, writing articles and, you know, look for them out there. Well, I appreciate you taking time and the article was great. And actually uh, for better or worse, uh, even Oprah Winfrey agrees with you. Uh, so, uh, she came out with an article as well. So anyway, I appreciate your perspective and, uh, really bringing, you know, the focus on this. And for those who criticize they're they're living in denial. Well, Hey, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.